Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. My name is Josh Guyan. I'm a partner in the communications group at Kelly Dry. Hi, I'm Chip Yurkaitis, also a partner in the communications group. Uh, Chip and I both focus a large part of our practice on both spectrum and wireless matters for a number of clients. Today we plan to discuss the controversial changes that are proposed and ongoing in the spectrum between 3.1 and 4.2 gigahertz in the U.S. There are ongoing efforts in various stages to allow more commercial wireless usage of the spectrum between 3.1 and 4.2 gigahertz in the U.S., which is the low end and just below what the FCC is calling mid-band spectrum. There appear to be potential opportunities for commercial mobile to share these bands with current users, but there are also calls for greater use of the bands for unlicensed and fixed wireless services. In many countries, in Europe and Asia especially in particular, these bands have been identified for 5G use, and Commissioner Rosenworcel, the lone Democrat right now on the, on the commission, um, has criticized the majority for lagging other countries regarding making mid-band spectrum available for 5G, which has become quite political as the U.S. races with China and other countries to claim to be the first to 5G. Perhaps another podcast would, could be dedicated to what it means to be first to 5G and where that race stands. To mix it up a bit, we'll discuss from top to bottom of the band and start with Chip's discussion of the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band. Thanks, Josh. Uh, In the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band, uh, the commission has an opportunity to expand the spectrum uh, beyond what it's already considering, as we'll discuss later uh, in the well-known 3.5 gigahertz band. Uh, This range uh, is a key band for promoting 5G and international harmonization because there's no more than 70 megahertz of spectrum that will be available for licensing in 3.5 gigahertz. In March of this year, the Ray Bombs Act was passed by Congress. In that act, the Commission and NTIA were required to produce a feasibility study for commercial access to the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band by September 2019. But in fact, a lot may happen before then, because a lot has happened already. In a nutshell, This band has for some time been perceived to be lightly used by its current incumbents, the fixed satellite service and the fixed services. Many think this makes it ideally suited for possible commercial wireless expansion. The primary user is the fixed satellite service because satellite earth stations could be deployed without licensing or registration under the commission's framework. It's actually not known how heavily the band is used today by earth station operators. This is something the FCC is trying to address, as we'll mention. But it is known that it's a key satellite band for a variety of purposes. The cable industry uses it, the government uses it for meteorological and other purposes, and the commercial aviation industry depends in part upon it. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, even if their TV is not delivered, what they think of as by satellite, a lot of the background, it is being done by satellite. And this is one of the bands where they where they do that as well. Even if you get, you know, if you have a cable system that you don't think is satellite, like DirecTV or something like that, it's often still runs through satellite and bands like this. Yeah, that's right. I think consumers on the whole are not too aware on where in the bands <laughs> the spectrum is being used. They just want to get their service. There's no doubt about that. The band is also used for the fixed services, but 
because it was subject to full band, full arc coordination with the satellite services to protect them, the fixed service use has always been somewhat light. For about 20 years, the fixed services industry, led by the Fixed Wireless Communications Coalition and the utilities, have sought for a relaxation of the full band, full arc policy. But that hasn't occurred, and I think events may have overtaken those efforts. Interest for the band for expanded mobile and fixed use accelerated in early 2017 as 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz was identified as key mid-band spectrum. Although it's expected that all mobile wireless carriers will be interested in gaining more mid-band spectrum, some analysts have identified Verizon as perhaps the most eager to acquire spectrum in this band based on a number of factors, but perhaps most importantly, its current spectrum holdings, which do not include spectrum in this mid-band range. AT&T already has nearby WCS spectrum at 2.3 gigahertz, and T-Mobile, if the Sprint deal goes through, will acquire significant 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. In addition to mobile, the Broadband Access Coalition, which includes the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, or WISPA, and the Open Technology Institute, over a year ago, filed a petition for rulemaking that called for a new licensed point-to-multipoint fixed wireless service in the band. So the commission, 12 months ago at its August 2017 open meeting, made the band a primary focus of its mid-band spectrum notice of inquiry. As part of the comments filed in response to that notice, last fall, Intelsat and Intel made a groundbreaking proposal that would allow satellite licensees in the band to make spectrum available for mobile use through secondary market mechanisms. SES, one of the two largest satellite players in the band, along with Intelsat, bought into this proposal earlier this year. The satellite providers believe that this approach could make 100 megahertz of the spectrum available for 5G far faster than through commission processes, such as an auction. As a first step to making a repurposing and realignment possible, the Commission temporarily froze new Earth Station registrations and license applications, with a few limited exceptions, in April of this year. Only those Earth Stations constructed and operational as of April 19th are still able to seek to register or apply for licenses. But that window closes on October 17th, so it's coming up soon. Earlier this month, the Commission coalesced the various proposals and an expression of protection for incumbent licensees in a very complex notice of proposed rulemaking. In that NPRM, almost everything remains on the table. First, the Commission looks to promote flexible use, mobile in particular, and some or all of the band. But they also propose to make part of the band available for point-to-multipoint purposes, while affording a certain amount of protection to incumbent fixed satellite service and fixed point-to-point users. Some key questions regarding the incumbents are, who should be protected? How many Earth stations are there anyway? And in what ways should the fixed satellite services and fixed links be protected? Should they be compensated if they have to transition out, and if so, by whom? In considering protection of incumbents in the framework for the ban to introduce mobile and point-to-multipoint applications, the Commission places a heavy emphasis in the NPRM on finding out the relative economic value of new and existing uses. In fact, the Commission is seeking detailed cost-benefit studies of the new uses and implementation approaches, including present and future values. This is part of the increased emphasis the Commission is giving economic matters with the new Economics Bureau. Several options on the table for mobile spectrum access are laid out in the NPRM. These include the market-based approach suggested by the satellite industry, 
but also various types of auctions, including incentive auctions, which may first require a certain repacking of satellite and fixed operations within the band. It's also worth noting that the NPRM acknowledged that the situation in 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz may be a lot different than that in the broadcast 600 megahertz frequencies where the broadcast incentive auction was completed early last year. These differences may make the incentive model a poor one for the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band. How much spectrum for commercial mobile is a key issue? At least 100 megahertz based on the notice but Commissioner O'Reilly, for one, has publicly stated he would like to see 200 or 300 megahertz available, particularly to supplement what's going to be made available at 3.5 and increase the potential for international harmonization. As far as point-to-multipoint purposes go, 40, 100, 160, and even 320 megahertz are mentioned in the notice. Licensing and technical rules are all on the table, including questions regarding how to adopt Internet of Things application-based performance requirements that would promote licensees interested in pursuing IoT opportunities and not make the band a default haven for the commercial mobile industry and coverage networks. The NPRM was published in the Federal Register on August 29th, making the comment and reply comment dates October 29 and November 27, respectively. How quickly the FCC will move once the comments are in? It's hard to say, but they do place importance on getting on track with other countries. Let's now turn to the application where the FCC is first expected to move. Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, it's obvious that you know moving things around in the mid-band spectrum is a lot more difficult than uh, the FCC is finding it a lot more difficult than higher spectrum, like in the Spectrum Frontiers proceeding and things like that, where they're moving pretty quickly um, through orders. You know, one you know what one a year here, um, and in the mid-band, there's just a lot more to to consider with the, the complicated nature of that NPRM that you described. Yeah, and I think even with the lower bands. Um, at you know, 3 gigahertz and below, the commission had several low-hanging fruit where it could work with NTIA to relocate the existing government users to make spectrum available for the commercial mobile industry by auction. However, we're moving into a regime where sharing is more the norm. Yeah, obviously a very good example of, of uh, sharing regimes is the 3.5 gigahertz, um, which I'll talk a bit about um, now. And, and this is uh, one where I think um, the commission you know, may try to recreate this uh, sharing regime in other bands, but it'd probably be difficult because of the, the individual nature of, of particular bands and who has to be moved around. Uh, and the 3.5 gigahertz, um, back in 2015, the FCC um, made the uh, 3.55 to 3.7 gigahertz uh, band available for what they're calling the Citizens Broadband Radio Service, or CBRS, um, in a unique band sharing arrangement. Um, there's a three-tiered licensing regime um, for this band that's been established. Uh, first, you have the primary radar and satellite users, the incumbents, um, which would retain the highest priority level and in interference protection. Uh, they and then second level down, you have uh, second priority um, priority access licenses or PALs um, that are supposed to be licensed by auction. That has not been scheduled yet. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and then the third tier is licensed by rule general authorized access users that can essentially operate around the the PALs and and the the other incumbent primary services uh, in the band. Um, the way that they all uh, are are able to share the band is through use of a spectrum access system administrator, or multiple of them actually, um, that will also use what's called environmental sensing capability, or ESC, um, to 
find out who's using a current band or a part of a band right now and then kind of adjust others around them um, is, is the process. And it's a very complicated process, but there are seven uh, spectrum access system administrators that have been conditionally approved at, back in December of 2016. Uh, I won't list them all, but that includes Google and, and a number of others. Um, and the FCC is actually currently reviewing a second wave of, of uh, SAS proposals. Right now, as far as the SAS administrators go, we're in a second stage of approval with the initial, what's called initial commercial deployment uh, submission window is open until September 10th. And that's for the SAS administrators to propose uh, short-term limited geographic deployment where they can do some real-world testing of how these uh, SAS and ESC systems will, will work. Uh, the uh, as far as equipment goes, it's it should it is expected to be relatively easy to to find and to deploy because 3.5 gigahertz spectrum is supported via licensed commercial wireless services in many other countries, including Japan. Uh, and in mid June, uh, for example, South Korea began auctioning 280 megahertz of 3.5 gigahertz spectrum. So this is as we mentioned at the outset, one of those areas where other countries in some cases are getting out ahead of the U.S. as far as making this um, mid-band spectrum available for commercial mobile, and, and the FCC is playing a little bit of catch up. Um, but that could also be due to um, having a bit more mature spectrum environment in the U.S. than many other countries. And so, uh, as we mentioned before, it, it's, it's a place where they have to uh, deal with a lot of incumbent uses and trying to figure out how to share the band. Well, I think it's also a matter that uh, in a number of the countries, uh, the ability of the regulator in those countries to shift things around and terminate existing licenses, even though there might be sunk investment, or reliance on certain frequencies, it's, it's a little freer in those countries uh, for the regulators. And uh, certainly the mobile industry in those countries, as it is here, is very strong. Sure. And, yeah, and here with the incumbent users, they usually tend to have their, you know, selves somewhat entrenched and they tend to rely on, you know, certain advocates on the Hill and things like that to, to protect spectrum. And so we are seeing a lot of that in, in this um, uh, 3.5 gigahertz because the uh, when the uh, new administration came in and Chairman Pai took over, um, they took a look at the 3.5 gigahertz and I think wanted to make some changes. And so in October of 2017, uh, Chairman Pai released an NPRM um, to look at making some cha potential changes to the 3.5 3 gigahertz, mostly focused around the um, priority access licenses, the auctioning of the, of the PALs. Uh, the goal there seems to be to make the licensing rules potentially more investment friendly from a commercial wireless perspective. Um, they want to try to um, uh, bolster investment and deployment in the band for large-scale 5G deployments. Uh, and so the providers have told them, the commercial wireless industry has told the FCC that they need greater certainty than the existing rules were providing. Uh, the other side of it is that the smaller uh, and rural providers have argued, uh, some of the fixed wireless companies have uh, argued that this would be a disincentive to participation by PALs, uh, in PALs by small businesses and, and by rural carriers. Uh, you have a bit of a political division that has uh, emerged from this where Commissioner Rosenworcel and many Democrats on the Hill um, have taken up the side of the smaller uh, census tracts, and we'll get into the geography um, aspects more. Uh, and then Commissioner O'Reilly, um, who has been kind of put in charge of this, um, this band and making recommendations by the chairman, uh, as well as many of the Republicans on the Hill in a recent oversight um, hearing talking more about um, the larger uh, geographic areas and, and kind of the, the advocacy that you see from commercial mobile. 
I think that's a good example. You mentioned uh, at the beginning, Josh, that uh, in the three bands we're going to talk about that the issues uh, are hotly contested. I know that when Commissioner O'Reilly first indicated that uh, a new NPRM was coming out to take another look at the licensing rules, perhaps make them more in line with the views of Chairman Pai and and Commissioner O'Reilly, he had hoped that the new NPRM could be completed by the first quarter of this year. And, and here we are now well into the third quarter. And it just shows uh, how difficult these issues uh, can be. Yeah. And, and actually, um, you know, based on the, the latest reporting, uh, that's partly on him. I mean, he's been given the responsibility of, of looking at the band uh, by the chairman. He has come back with um, some uh, analysis, but the chairman in, in trade presses and in hearing has said he doesn't have full recommendations yet from, from Commissioner. O'Reilly. So partly it's, I'm sure there's a lot to consider, a lot of people coming in for meetings, but uh, it's partly on him to, to get to some recommendations for the chairman. Yeah, that may be the case. But to be <laughs> fair, the uh, the commission has taken on a lot, particularly sure. in the spectrum area. Almost every uh, open meeting, there are uh, one or two items uh, yep. and, and quite frequently they're of some significance. So, uh, it, you know, yep. it's, they're difficult issues and particularly when you're, you're more in the sharing regime and also creating opportunities in a band where there haven't been opportunities before. Absolutely. Commission certainly can't be criticized for being inactive on spectrum matters, uh, for sure, recently. Um, so the, the changeover uh, or the impetus for the change here started with uh, T-Mobile and CTIA petitions um, that they filed that urged a revamping of the, of the PAL licensing. Um, and some of the things that were part of the NPRM um, that, that I think were in part sought by Commercial Mobile are things like longer license terms. They had proposed, or the rules included the three-year term, um, and they're proposing uh, now to expand that to a 10-year term, which is more consistent with traditional auction licensing. Um, they're also uh, looking at whether we should have a renewal expectancy. There was no re- renewal expectancy um, in the rules, um, and um, the, that has been requested by Commercial Mobile as well, that, that if they're going to you know, put a lot of money into an auction and purchase a license, that they would want to expect, as long as they're operating appropriately and meeting performance requirements, et cetera, that they would be able to retain that license. Um, another big issue is, as I uh, kind of mentioned briefly, is the geography. Um, right now, the rules uh, allow for licensing for the PALS by census tract, um, which is relatively small areas and could result in, uh, in many cases, they've said over 500,000 PALS if it were to auction that way. Um, and the, there are proposals to increase the size to what are called partial economic areas or PEAs. Others have proposed county-sized, uh, which would be in between the two, census tract and, and PA, PEAs. Um, there's even uh, some discussion of hybrid approaches where uh, you might have some PALs um, that, are, um, that are auctioned uh, in, with PEAs um, or, or counties and some that might be census tracts. Uh, the census tracts being more in the rural areas so that you could have smaller areas that a smaller provider or a WISP or, or that kind of uh, fixed wireless provider could uh, attain and, and, and use and that you might have larger uh, PEAs perhaps in, in urban areas. Yeah, and just to mention that, uh, I mean, the PEAs are uh, a fairly standard size for uh, auction licenses. Uh, many of the uh, bands up in the millimeter wave bands as part of Spectrum Frontiers, uh, will be auctioned off on a uh, PEA basis. And so this you know, would allow the commercial mobile operators who might have Spectrum there as well as in the mid-band to uh, sort of uh, you know, standardize the, the size of their rollout for 5G, maybe using a combination of mid-band and high-band Spectrum. 
And what goes, I won't talk too much about uh, the secondary market parts of this, but what goes kind of hand in hand with the size of the of the um, uh, licenses is whether they are able to um, disaggregate those and they're able to partition those. And, the, you know, if the, the larger they are, if they go with PEAs, the more opportunity there is to um, partition those or, or um, um, right now, I think there's call for, for leasing as opposed to partition and, and disaggregation. Um, and then lastly, um, there are uh, there's discussion in the MPRM regarding the spectrum caps. Um, currently, there's a 70 megahertz cap for PALs within any given within any given license area. T-Mobile had proposed um, that PALs be able to use the entire band, um, but the NPRM does not uh, accept that proposal. Um, they want to make sure to retain at least 80 gigahertz uh, available for GAA licenses in, in every area. Um, but the FCC is considering lifting the 40 megahertz single licensee cap. Uh, lastly, I'll just uh, mention that on August 10th, uh, the Wireless Bureau and the Office of Engineering and Technology, or OET, released a public notice seeking comment on the 3.5 gigahertz rules that exist today. Um, and the purpose of that was to allow the FCC to complete a report to Congress that's required by November 2nd of this year uh, by the Spectrum Pipeline Act. Uh, so next, I'll turn back to Chip to talk about uh, the 3.1 to 3.55 gigahertz ban. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, this is the uh, sort of the final piece of the uh, the three gigahertz band uh, puzzle, as the FCC seeks to make more uh, midband mobile spectrum available. Uh, in this band, it's currently used by the Department of Defense uh, primarily. Uh, it's used for operating various types of uh, radar systems, shipborne, land-based, and aeronautical for national defense purposes. Uh, some of the other federal agencies, such as NASA and parts of the Department of Commerce, uh, have systems in the spectrum range as well. Now, there's sort of two parallel paths going on with regard to this band currently. Uh, under the Ray Bombs Act uh, mentioned earlier that was passed in March, uh, NTIA has until March 2020 to provide the FCC and Congress an evaluation of the feasibility of allowing commercial wireless services, uh, both licensed and unlicensed, to share use of the frequencies with the federal government in this spectrum range. Um, prior to that, uh, in, in February, uh, NTIA announced that in coordination with DOD and other federal agencies, that it had identified 100 megahertz of the spectrum, uh, specifically the 345 to 355 gigahertz band, for potential repurposing. Uh, they picked this in part because it's right next to the 3.5 gigahertz band, uh, that part of it, which will be made available to PALS. Basically, the 3.55 to 3.62 gigahertz band. Um, so the, you know, NTIA was offering this up as a, as a potentially a key asset in the nation's broadband spectrum inventory. Uh, and to fund that study, DOD uh, was taking available of fairly recent revisions uh, that came about as part of the Spectrum Pipeline Act to access spectrum relocation funds to carry out a comprehensive uh, engineering study to determine, to determine the potential for introducing uh, advanced uh, commercial wireless services in the band without harming the critical government operations that are already there. So in both cases, uh, both through the Ray Bombs Act and the NTIA DOD announcement, we can see again this emphasis on sharing as opposed to relocation, although there may be some relocation eventually in this band.
The 3.45 to 3.55 gigahertz band is only 100 megahertz of the band that's being examined. So that bone that they've thrown, so to speak, uh, toward the commercial mobile wireless industry may not be enough. And in fact, Commissioner Commissioner O'Reilly uh, issued a brief statement welcoming the planned NTIA review uh, when it was made uh, in February, uh, calling it a first step to creating a key building block for a mid-band 5G spectrum play. Uh, but I think he's saying that's, that's not enough. We really want to make as much of that band available as possible. So one of the key questions to watch, uh, and I think it's a threshold question, is uh, how will sharing in this band, if it can be done, how will it be achieved? Will it be something similar to what's going to be implemented in the 3.5 gigahertz band in CBRS? Perhaps there'll be some lessons learned that can be applied uh, to, to improve that framework if it, it's extended to this lower band. Uh, but maybe there will be multiple approaches uh, in different subbands, depending upon the, the, the nature and the level of the federal government use. Uh, and then, of course, there's also the question, can any part of that band be cleared? So to wrap our time up, with the United States playing catch-up uh, in the 3 gigahertz band, it will be worth watching to see how quickly it can move on all three fronts that we've identified. It should be clear that there are many moving parts, but there's also a momentum, uh, which is quite plain. Uh, there will be more commercial wireless deployments in this key mid-band spectrum. How much and how soon? It's still not obvious, but this merits close monitoring. And if you're interested in the band, either as an incumbent or a potential user, not just for commercial mobile networks, but perhaps IoT uses, uh, may merit participation in these proceedings. So finally, Josh and I would like to thank you for your time listening to our podcast today. And uh, we hope you found it informative. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.